yeah, I don't want to play that game at all. But I don't care who's in it or what's it about. Admittedly, I care more about Lou Boo just as a name than I care about Frank West, no matter how many wars he's covered. <laughs> Welcome to Abnormal Mapping, Episode 7. I'm your host, Matthew Marco, and with me is Jackson Tyler. Say hello, Jackson. Hello. You're supposed to say hello, Jackson. That's the joke. That's how this works. I I, I was I heard the joke, and I was like, am I going to bite on the terrible joke? I decided not to, and now look where and we are. And we are here after our month hiatus. Jackson had an argument with me about the numbering of these episodes before we started. <laughs> that was not for the cast. It's fine. I want to share was... with people the strifes that we go through to bring you this quality content. Gameography was last month. Is, I n- numbered that number one. It's out of continuity. This is the eighth episode we have recorded. This is Abnormal Mapping episode seven. But it's the... See, Abnormal Mapping is a monthly show, but every six months... Yeah, but th- when we do that, we don't do a normal Abnormal Mapping. Okay. Let's not let's not rehash this now. <laughs> we came to a conclusion. So we have a... This is kind of a weird month. I haven't really been playing a lot of video games. You've been finishing your term at school. You haven't been playing a lot of video games? Yeah. I've been finishing my semester at university, but yes. Is that See, different? That sounds way more I was trying to be British. That's why I used the word term. Uh, I guess I think it is a term. We're switching over to semesters next year. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. I was trying to localize for you, but never mind. Next time I'm just going to... I mean, it is, it, it is localized, but it also means younger here. Oh, okay. It means you're a child. Like grades. Which I am. Is that like fair. grades then? Uh, No. Grades are years. Okay. School, year six. school grades are years. Year six is the end of primary school. Yeah, sixth before... grade. Is that the end of uh, primary school before high school? Before junior high. Oh! <laughs> we have three schools we go to, typically. We used to, but we do not anymore. Elementary, junior high, high school. Uh, primary, which is... No, hang on. Primary, which is based into infants and juniors, and then... Uh, secondary, which is based into high school and then um, sixth form. Education is ridiculous. Don't think about it. Okay, well, this is all going in, so good job. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'm sorry. What have you been playing that isn't what we're talking about? Because let's talk about what we've been doing. Let's touch base. We don't talk ever. You used that term once. He's like, I want to touch base. And I was, it, it just... I was sucked out of the moment. I was like, oh, Matt just said touch base. That's a term I associate with business people. Yeah, but I didn't go to school for business. I'm not a businessman. No, I know. So com- hearing it coming out of your mouth completely without irony just pulled me out of it. Because I would never use that phrase without extreme amounts of irony. I mean, it was supposed to be a little jokey, being a little glib. <laughs> being a little glib. It's just fair. No. I-, I didn't think you turned into Mr. Let's run up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes. Was that a term? Man. <laughs> Yes, it's that's a little, term. It's a little militaristic for me, I think. It's, it's, it's also a little arch. It's uh, both militaristic and arch. It's it's like a term from the 50s. I, I bet they've used that term in Mad Men. I don't watch Mad Men. Could ask my girlfriend, I. I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
Oscar, how many times let's run it up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes has been used in Mad Men? I don't, I don't think they... I feel like that show's cooler than that. It is. Okay, yes. So what have you been playing? But, I've been playing... So I played the way too much Burnout Paradise again. Oh, really? Uh, you were playing with someone, though, this time, right? <laughs> For parts of it. I also just got, like, half a trophies I've never that played that game in multiplayer. Oh, you need to. I don't play multiplayer. What? Yeah, but I, it's really good. You don't really play against anyone. It's just basically a Skype call while you're all in the same city. Okay. And you do some challenges. It's the most low impact. I don't thing. care really about. Burn- I mean, I care about Burnout Paradise, but I know that you play Burnout Paradise all the time. It's like your state of being. I want to hear about Remember Me, Jackson. <laughs> Remember Me is a really odd game because I feel has... like this would have been a game that we might have done eventually, but then you went and played it. I only realized that into play. Mm, I don't know. It's the potential of it is locked away in some uh, spoilery type stuff. I don't really want to get into if people aren't going to play it because. When I it was described to me, people told me it's good and it has potential, and then it goes off the rails towards the end. But the ways in which it goes off the rails are actually the most interesting parts of the game, um, which is extremely vague but kind of predictable mm. for this story that's uh, basically uh, French anime. Okay. Which, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, but it's just as a gameplay, the gameplay is kind of just a weird action game that has nothing to do thematically with what they're doing in the story. There's some interesting things with the combo system which turns into a rhythm game where you have to uh, pick your combos ahead of time and the the way you heal is through using attacks to heal. Like your attacks can either do extra damage or they can heal you or they can uh, fix another meter. So that part's interesting. I feel like that reminds me of some system but I don't remember what now. Yeah, no, it's, I'm sure that kind of thing's been done before. Something like that. And it is it sounds interesting, cool. but... It is cool, but it has also nothing to do with what the game's about. That's fine. That's every video game, right? Yeah, it's the most video game. I've just been playing Transistor, which you haven't played yet, so I don't really want to talk much about, other than it is a game whose, I feel like, mechanics are probably very deeply tied in the story, though it has not revealed how yet. Yeah, I bet. Because uh, that game... I, I played Bastion. I feel like I... I, I I almost think I know what the reveal in that game is yet, but I don't think I'm far enough to actually know for any sort of certainty. You should write it down and see how close you are. No, I just have it in my head. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I trust myself. Okay. That's good. <laughs> if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It doesn't really matter. It's fair. I don't wrap pride in around predicting story ter- twists. That's the good and way to it be. It probably wouldn't even be a twist. Like, I wouldn't call Bastion's ending a twist. It's really good, but I wouldn't call it a twist by any reasonable definition of how people <laughs> use it. I've forgotten the ending of Bastion. Uh... He, there's the reset button, and you can either reset it or keep going, right? Yeah, but there's the stuff with Rux being, like, potentially implicated in all this, and uh, the guy, whatever his name is, who joins you from the other, like, race. Oh, the guy betrays you. Yeah, betrays you, and then yeah. you fight all of those guys, but, like, you cannot fight them, and there's, like, implications that you're murdering all these people who are maybe as much of a victim as all this as you are. You know, like I remember that game just getting real messy in the end, and it's just like, uh, this is a shitstorm, and the reason we did this was maybe to fix the fact that everything is fucked. Yep, and then you have the reset button, which uh, is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's a good game. I, I assume Transistor, since they even talked explicitly about like their new game plus mode having special stuff that, like, they're like, if you play through, you're going to see different things. I assume the ending is going to have something like that, too. 
oh, there's no way the ending doesn't tie in to yeah. all that stuff again, because they're good at that. So, I don't know, maybe we'll actually talk about that at length sometime when you play it and I finish it. I don't know if I'm going to play it immediately. That's fine. I don't It'll know, keep... I might wait off on that. I'm sure the things yeah. I have to say aren't going to be enough that I need to like have it fresh. Probably. I mean, let me know if they are, then I'll get on it. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, I've been continuing my Blackwell Let's Plays. Uh, those are fun. Please keep. Please watch them, people. I put them they're up. Nobody sees them. them. I I think they're decent. I feel like I've fiddled with the audio enough that they're getting better each time I do them. Because I kind of re- try to reanalyze my settings each game and make things a little more adjusted. Uh, which is really the trick in a game like that, is just balancing audio versus gameplay. Yeah. No, they're good. You, people should watch them. You should check them out if you haven't yet. And you know, yeah. And if you know, if you're like, I want to play Blackwell first, well, then uh, stop dawdling. They're good. <laughs> just take an evening and play one of those. Or games. just buy them and then watch my let's plays, and save yourself the time. <laughs> yeah, these are both valid options. You're not actually saving time since they're adventure games. The amount of time I spend is probably analogous to what anyone else would spend playing them. There are there not puzzles that you know the answers to so that you can do them quicker? No, they're. I mean, I get stuck a couple times. Okay. But there, you played the Shiva. It's like that. It's not like a super intense puzzly adventure. I game. got really stuck on the Shiva, but that wasn't because it was an intense puzzle. That was just because one of the first things I just couldn't figure mm, out. The in the to. second Blackwell game, I get stuck in a way that like there is just a mechanic that I feel like was not explained well that later games yeah. fix. But man, I was very frustrated. That's a weird thing with adventure games that the way you get stuck that's the most frustrating is when you don't understand how or why you're being stuck has been allowed to happen. Yep. Now I'm at the point where it's like, oh, I see the next four steps in this puzzle chain and I just do them and it feels really good. I feel very smart. (laughs) Because you build up literacy. It's it's a strange thing. Well, you understand the tells of the game and how it builds puzzles, especially when it's... All uh, by the same the person. One... Yeah, yeah. You you understand how they construct a puzzle. Yep. You get someone's email address. You're probably gonna have to hack into their email. Video games. Dave Gilbert video games especially. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I played the Shiva. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, what we've been doing. I just wanted to give people a touch base kind of thing. Uh, we're not very communicative uh, on the website right now because we've both been busy doing other things that aren't video game related. Hopefully that'll change. I have a thing I'm gonna put up in June that's you do gonna be big probably I'm looking forward to it yeah I'm looking forward to getting that monkey off my back is that a phrase or is that a reference like that's what people call it when they drop like a drug addiction is it yeah like I think it specifically refers to heroin like in the 70s like he's got a monkey on his back he's got a heroin problem I mean, I, I'll buy that. I, it doesn't sound unbelievable, but I don't think I've heard that. Maybe I have. I, I, I think it might be an Americanism, but that's definitely a phrase. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. But I can never play Animal Crossing again. I didn't know if monkey on your back was an Animal Crossing thing. No, I mean, at some point Porter stays in the train station. He's fine. I have no other monkeys. <laughs> have no other monkeys frequented your town? Uh, No, I don't think so. We're done. For a whole year. Segment two. Okay. da 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 Okay. Is there a music break? Yeah. Alright, cool. I mean, Carry we're going to have our music break, and then there's going to be actual music. I don't know what it's going to be yet. Are you actually going to put in us going... Dun, dun, dun. Yes, stupid. absolutely. <laughs> right, great. Maybe I'll just uh, loop I've, it I've... like ten times. Segment two, and you're da-da-da, segment two, da-da-da. I'll just pitch it up and down. That'd be the worst thing. That'd be the worst thing. Don't do that. Look... 
not saying that we're right We're just saying that you're wrong With your quote-unquote review Of Killzone 2 And you're desperate for attention Yet barely worth a mention Except to take contention With your desperate grab for hits You gave Killzone 2 a 7 I wanted an 11 on our site Our scale doesn't go that high But I had to try And who are you to say Killzone 2 is a good game Because it's not It's a perfect video game <laughs> Yes, it's a perfect video game Oh, it's perfect <laughs> You can't give Citizen Kane a 7 Everybody knows, just ask Roger Ebert <laughs> He would tell you that's a disgrace Citizen Kane gets two thumbs up And therefore so does Killzone Just ask PSX Extreme But I would give it three thumbs up but I don't have three pounds So you can lend me one And together Three thumbs up for Killzone 2 Me and you giving Killzone 2 its due And that leaves one Son of a bitch. <laughs> I just thought this game was a little bit dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, for segment two, while we haven't been playing a ton of games, I read a lot of things about video games, and we both listen to a lot of things about video games. I kind of want to talk about, like, our reading list. And this is going to go up in conjunction with a big, long list that we're going to post to the website as, like, a front page item in our top header that we've been putting together of the things we recommend people like listen to or read or watch that are about video games to kind of inform what we care about. That's what we want to talk about, right, Jackson? Pretty much. Okay. So I feel like it's only apropos that we start with podcasts yep. since that is what we, uh, what we do here. Normalmapping.com. <laughs> I'm normalmapping.com. Yes. So why don't you talk about the obvious podcast jackson you mean the idle thumbs no that podcast is over i mean idle thumbs oh no the idle thumbs was never a podcast it was the idle thumbs podcast that's fair that's fair it was just me being dumb (laughs) (laughs) well you introduced me to idle thumbs like a year over a year ago now and then I put it off, and then about June... But actually, about exactly a year ago, I started going through that entire backlog, and that is the best podcast. Yeah, it's why we do this podcast. Basically. And I, I feel like many people who are friends who have done video game podcasts have got into to be a fake bombcast, which is fine, 
but uh, that's like discovering idle thumbs and also listening to old podcasts is the most fascinating thing. I think it's actually way more fascinating than listening to new podcasts. Is listening to things that happened five years ago. Video games were very different five years ago. Oh, were they? They this... were so much bleaker. <laughs> Watching the gradual uh, uh, Idle Thumbs discovering of optimism <laughs> is one of the best things. Uh, yeah, I mean, we steal liberally, liberally from Idle Thumbs in terms of tone and what we kind of cover and how we talk, I feel like. So if you like us at all, you should be a, you should already be listening to Idle Thumbs. Yep. And uh, in, On the opposite end of the spectrum... We have the podcast of negativity and woe, the giant bombcast. I, I stole your thunder by saying the idle thumbs. I know, but that's fine. Okay. The, the, Just like idle thumbs actually steals all the thunder of the giant bombcast. By what? Land Existing. it. Okay, good. Nice. You did land it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like I like the bombcast. This is, the bombcast is probably the closest thing to a, what all video game podcasts that aren't Idle Thumbs are. Uh, you know, it's just four guys in a room talking about what they played that week and what the news is. But the bombcast is such a personality-driven thing, and it's been going for so long, and it's such a like we don't give a shit institution that it's it's worth it for the spectacle of the bombcast alone. I've started listening to old bombcasts again. They're interesting, but they they're are. not as good. They're not as good, but seeing how much that entire site and that podcast specifically has changed mm-hmm. year on year, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Because And then there was a point like in 2010, 2011, that that was just the, oh, what has Ryan or Vinny been learning this week? Let's talk about being a dad. It, it became a, a, an honorary dad cast for a while, even though none of them were dads at that point. It was still a dad cast. That's fair. And that was great in its own way, the How to Be an Old Man podcast. And, and it has gone through many changes. Yeah. It, it's great. I think recently it has started to have a lot more interesting discussions again. Mainly for yeah. our old man Gersman and his opinions of how things have changed. Yep. Uh, abnormal I... mapping, official copywriters of the term old man Gerstman. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's one that should catch on. It's evocative and accurate. Yes. Uh, I love Jeff. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot from him, but he is sometimes the most curmudgeonly I've been in writing about video games for too long person in the world. And yeah. it's hilarious. It is. And he knows it. That's the thing. Like He knows he's ridiculous. That's the only reason it's okay. <laughs> Jeff has all the self-awareness. And then you've just listed more Idle Thumbs podcasts here. I think we should group those two together because I think why they're on this list is very similar. I find Dota Today more interesting than Tone Control. I think Tone Control can be hit and miss depending on who's on. Okay, so the other two podcasts are Tone Control and Dota Today. They're on the Idle Thumbs Network of Podcasts. Tone Control is Steve Gaynor uh, of the Fulbright Company, uh, creator of Gone Home. Uh, He interviews game developers, people he knows or has worked with or just likes. And then Dota Today is just two dudes talking about Dota. And this guests. is Dota. T- is Potato Day? <laughs> is Potato Day? Yep. That's um, Dota Today has the best theme tune. But both end up being game designers talking about game design, and that's why I want to group them together because I think the interesting thing about these is most of these casts, even Idle Thumbs, is not like a very like focused game design cast. 
but both tone control and Dota Today focus very narrowly on various aspects of designing games. I, I would say Dota Today is way more a design cast for, because tone control. Uh, a lot of each cast is the history of the person. Oh, that's fair. And I find that I'm not a big fan of that stuff. Some of it's oh. interesting. I feel like there's a lot of design breakdown too, but there sure. is a lot of design breakdown. But then they spend half of it talking about what jobs they went to, and I'm just like, I, I find that kind of boring. It'll be real interesting when Tone Control comes back. Oh, if totally. he goes outside of the AAA space, what kind of? Because those people won't have those stories. They'll be like, "I've worked in my house for ten years." Yeah, I'll be like, "I've worked in my house and I have a Twitter account, and here's these small games." Yep. And pretty interesting to, to see what he does next. Because in his, in the in the last episode when he did a summary, he sounded very self-aware about what that cast was and what he was going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Tone Control is great because there probably won't be another one for another year, so go ahead and catch up on the 13 or so that exist. Yeah. Um, the next two were my editions that you don't listen to. So I'm not as... I don't listen to as many... Po- well, <laughs> I just listen Look, to... Look, I do it because I have a job. I w- if I did not have a job where I could listen to a bunch of podcasts, I would not Oh, sure, but I, I mean, list. I've gone through the entire Giant Bombcast twice, so that's yeah. the kind of arsehole I am. VG Empire is a video game music podcast. These used to oh, exist a lot. There was the Sound what? Test, which is a one-up podcast that ended. There was uh, Legacy Music Hour, which went for a lot of time, but it was mostly old games, which was fine, but not like the best, uh, because I feel like their narrow scope hurt them a lot. Uh, VG Empire uh, is updated pretty regularly. It's part of the Laser Time Network of podcasts, but VG Empire is their best show. Um, and it is based around a theme, like, oh, here's all of the games of Banjo, or here's all the Banjo-Kazooie music that's worth talking about, or here's Metal Gear, or there's, like, a four-part Castlevania series, and uh, if you like video game music, or you want to learn more about video game music, it's a pretty good way to do it. Uh, and it's not super music theory-heavy, it's mostly just playing tracks and listening to good music for an hour, it's good driving music. As we speak, I am subscribing to this cast right now. It's pretty good. That's what I want. I love me some uh, music discussion. Retronauts, on the other hand, is all about old video games. The most curmudgeonly old men talking about games of their youth that they didn't actually play in their youth, but then grew <laughs> old enough to buy to get the money to buy from Japan. It's uh, it used to be a one up podcast. You could probably find old shows somewhere on the internet. I don't know if one up's still up. Actually, it probably isn't. Uh, but then they kickstarted coming back much the same way Idle Thumbs did. And uh, every week they talk about some aspect of old video games. And uh, since I, you know, I grew up with a Nintendo console basically for most of my life. So most of the old video game stuff I know, I know because I've listened to Retronaut since 2008, basically. It's the longest podcast I've ever listened to. Is it like... Worth your time if you want some game history. I do. Maybe I'll, those two I'll add to my rotation and see if any of them stick. They sound, you, I, I take a recommendation well. Okay. Um, so let's move on to video content. Jackson, what is Errant Signal? And- so Errant Signal is a video essay series in which he just takes games and analyzes them. It's, it's, I would consider it a form of game reviewing, but that's not actually what game reviews are. So mm-hmm. it's what I would have assume them to be or want them to be he just analyzes games and comes to conclusion about them he has a great one about doom uh two ones about doom and quake in which he says what they are and how they fit into the culture there how they came what they're about 
it's it's really good. I'm I'm into it a lot. I'll always be there for a new Aaron Signal episode. All right. Yeah, I've never seen it. I should check that out. You should check it out. He's he's good stuff. He did one about. Well, he's done a lot. It skews a little too heavily to recent releases for my taste. I would wave prefer to see a more wider take on games. But you do what you got to do to get those get those sweet page views. Uh, my contribution to this is the opposite direction, which is Crontendo, which is a man named Doctor Sparkle who has taken it upon himself for the past many years uh, to play all of the released Famicom and NES games in chronological order of release. Uh, each episode is about an hour long. Uh, I linked to his website on our list, but you should go to the archive.org page because that's where they all mostly live. Uh, plays like 15 to 17 games at a time. Uh, gives you context of what they're about and where they fit in and who made them and why. Uh, they're really interesting to go and see how many terrible games used to exist because people, I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia for old games. With any realize you yes, you realize that the Famicom was just full of baseball, like 20 baseball games and 100 mahjong games, and it, video games used to be terrible. Video games are still terrible. Go along look with video at, games. Go look at all the things that hit number one on the charts next to the Beatles or something. But if you want like a great experience of an era even if you lived that era you did not play everything because so many things were japan only and most of us were young like even i was too young to have like a lot of social context for stuff uh he also has a crone sega and a crone turbo which is sega master system and turbo graphics uh those aren't updated as much uh because he started them more recently, and each episode, like he puts out like two or three episodes a year, because they're very hard to do, I assume. Well, has, it's a lot of work. When's he going to be finished? Never. I don't know. He's winding down on uh, the NES. He's past the peak. Like I think where he's at now, the Super Nintendo was out in Japan, and so it's just garbage. It's all garbage. <laughs> poor, poor decisions being made for our entertainment. So, talk about our last inter- uh, contribution to video content, Jackson. I- I've lost the page. Hang on. I clicked on Contender. I've lost the page. I- it is our it is our controversial video pick. Is it? Is it though? No. People it's... who say that are awful people. Yeah, it's Trodes versus Women in Video Games. The Anita Sarkeesian. If I, have, if I said that right, I always pronounce that name wrong. I forget. Anita Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. I put the K too early. Anyway, uh, it's a. Uh, good 101 series about representation of women in video games it yep. does what it sets out to do and does it fine I don't see why it's a huge thing I mean I, I do see why it's a huge thing I because understand. video <laughs> games are sexist and gross Jackson <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, why I people s- are upset I see I do see that was a lie when I said I didn't see okay <laughs> uh, it's it's a great overview uh, even if you are uh, you think you know that stuff it's not a bad refresher course uh, they're well-produced videos. Yeah, also they're uh, they good videos. They cover a lot of ground. I, I think they are good. They're good, entertaining, well-made things. So yep. they go on the list. And then we have a big websites and authors, which I think we're just going to run down uh, more generally because we'd be here for an hour if we talked about all of these things. We would. Uh, please go to the list. Uh, I link a lot of Patreons. Most of these writers uh, you can support monthly for their articles, and you should because they are people who write about things that no mainstream website is going to pay for because they're all terrible. 
because Polygon can hire 15 white guys to talk about bullshit, but they can't hire Matty Bryce. Yep. <sighs> Video games. So, we have Lee Alexander, who is a mainstay and probably needs no introduction. Uh, if you listen to us, you should know Lee. She's been doing this for over a decade. Uh, she writes. She has a book that uh, will be in our book section. She has a Let's Play series that is charming and amazing, where she just plays old <laughs> Apple II games. Probably could have gotten into a video content segment a list. With I already listed is why I didn't do it. But yeah, but yeah, with the power of just ha- what a debut of I'm just going to do um, a, a video series and then comes out with that. Yeah, they're very low-key, like, they're very intimate, it's on. a lot about her memories of childhood growing up with those games, and revisiting them as an adult, and what that means, and what you take from that, uh, which is kind of what her book is about as well. Uh, it's good. Uh, highly recommended. Um, the authors that we have patrons for are Maddie Bryce, Lana Polanski, uh, Stephen Byrne, is that how you pronounce that? Uh, I don't know. I assume okay. so. Okay. It's Irish. Uh, so. Zeal, which is uh, Avi B's website. Uh, you can on Mammon Machine. It's about obscure games. Uh, Forest Ambassador, which is Merrick Copus. Uh, Critical Distance, which is uh, uh, Chris Ligman, formerly of Gama Sutra. And Tiny Cartridge, uh, which I want to make special mention of. Tiny Cartridge is the only video game news website I visit regularly. It is about portable games, specifically 3DS and Vita. Uh, but it is also like a celebration of the games and culture surrounding that. Uh, which I think is a much more interesting, much more diverse culture than like mainstream console video games. You, you don't find weirder say. stuff. Like I feel like you you get more DIYers and you get more art stuff and you get more like zinesters and things around portable games. I don't know why that is, but it seems to be the case. I mean, you were saying I think that's a more interesting and varied culture than mainstream video games, which. You okay, know. sure. Low bar. <laughs> but that site regularly posts really incredible things that people do and celebrates the weirdness of video games, specifically 3DS and Vita stuff, which and is undercover, right. generally. Undercover, and also that's where a lot of great weirdness lies. People saying that... You just get people joking about, oh, the Vita's dead, why would anyone buy a Vita, and stuff like that, when... No, there's a lot of great weirdness on that. Go buy a Vita. Um, and then, more comprehensively... Uh, is Indie Static and Hardcore Gaming 101. Indie Static is like an indie site. Uh, I don't like the term indie much these days, but they post a lot of great small games and free games to play. Hardcore Gaming 101 is the nerd haven of, do you want to know about this obscure Japanese series? Here's 10 pages on every version of it. And it, it looks like a every website. System. It looks like a website designed in 1997. Yeah, it has not so, changed. That's great. Hardcore Gaming 101 is why I played Killer7, one of my favorite games of all time, because uh, of their write-up. It's why I played Rez, uh, another one of my favorite games of all time. I have two of their books in our book section. Uh, they, they do good content. They are well worth looking at uh, if you just want to learn some weird, arcane nonsense about games. I often do. And uh, the last segment is books. Uh have you read any of these books, Jackson? I've read Masters of Doom. Okay. Masters of Doom, we talked about in our Doom episode, is a very good book. It is. Um, and Anthropy appears twice on this list that I created. Oh, and I've, uh, I've read Rise of the Video Game Zinesters. Rise of the Video Game Zinesters is why I made a Twine game and why I'm kind of fiddling with making another one. Uh, and then a game design vocabulary she wrote with Naomi Clark, which is the best breakdown of how you should think about 
game creation about how mechanics work and what it means for your theme and how to choose a theme and what constraints mean for design. It's very smart. It breaks things down in very clear language. Uh, if you want to learn a thing or two about how mechanics and game design are important like to think about as a way to tell the story you want to tell, that is the way to do it. Uh, it, it does a lot of questioning assumptions about why things are. Yeah. And it's very good. Um, I, I, the I two Hardcore Gaming 101 game books I was talking about are The Guide to Classic Graphic Adventures, which is like this huge 600-page tome of, of various people, like dozens of people, contributing essays about the various graphic adventures from the app, like the earliest Apple II stuff up through, I think they stop around Grim Fandango, the classic era of adventure games, basically, uh, about what they are, how they play, weird, interesting bits about them, a lot of their context, like who developed them and stuff. It's great. It is a huge book. And then Sega Arcade Classics, which you should read in conjunction with playing a lot of those games on the 3DS, like 3D Super Hang-On, which was one of my games of the year 2013. Or soon 3D Outrun, un- undoubtedly Game of the Year 2014. I think we can safely say yeah. that, yes, Outrun, 3D Outrun, uh, best game of 2014. Uh, Lee Alexander has a book about growing up with technology. It's more about the internet than video games, but I think it counts. It uh, the two are so tied together at this point to me. I don't know. You're listening to a podcast over the internet. I'm allowing it. <laughs> and then Racing the Beam is a it's a much more technical book it's about design for Atari 2600 games but it is accessible by someone with no knowledge about how games work I read it several years ago by Nick Monfort and Ian Bogost and if you want to uh, learn a lot about something very quickly it is a way to do it Atari games I I was grew up post Atari I don't really have any affection for them but that book made me respect them in a way I never would have otherwise Highly recommended, but for anybody. Yeah. Uh, It's not on the list, and I haven't read it, but I do want to read that Spec Ops book. Yeah, I haven't played Spec Ops yet, but someday I will, and then I will read that book. Yeah. I I hope that EVE Online book will someday find its way on that list. EVE Online book is what EVE Online was made for. Uh, It is Everyone loves that game as a thing that exists and to tell stories about. No one actually likes to play it. So someone served the market's needs perfectly in the capitalistic spirit of EVE Online. So that's our entire reading list as exists now. We'll probably add things over time. Maybe if enough things get added, we'll do like a roundup post about here's what's added and why you should care. But I felt like this this is enough reading to keep you busy for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, you should check these things out. There's a lot of cool things about video games in here. Give yes. these people your time and attention. They are better at this than we are. I walk on. I am unable to think. I am empty.
segment three is our game club this week. Um, this month. month. Shit, this is why you do this. <laughs> this is why I am a poor choice. But no, segment three uh, is our game club this month, and we are going to be talking about Ace Combat 6, Fires of Liberation. Storm. No Storm. Uh, <laughs> I would play a game called Fires of Liberation Storm. Only on Xbox 360, <laughs> yes. as I look at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> Only on Xbox 360. The, the word Xbox appears on this box three times in the top banner. Just to let you know that this is a, a get, a get from Microsoft. But no, released in 2007. It was a get. This was a PlayStation uh, franchise. Yeah, it was. Back this when was... this happened a lot, they were sniping all the Japanese games. Yeah, that was basically what this was a part of. Uh, Ace Combat started as Ace Pilot on the PlayStation 1. Um, I think it was always Ace Combat in Japan. I'm not sure, but I feel like that's the case. Okay. And then it changed yeah, they they lined up and then there was like Ace Combat four no three four five and zero on the PS2 or something ridiculous and then this is the only game uh, for the 360 and we played this one. Uh, the reason I suggested it was because um, it's a game from my childhood, which sounds weird because it's only you know seven years old, but I played it when it came out, <laughs> um, and I was a lot younger then, and it has changed a lot. Well, it hasn't changed, but I've changed a lot since playing it, and revisiting it was a it was a cool thing. Um, the end. Do, doing quick Wikipedia look, uh, Air Combat was the name of Air when it Combat. Was on, not Air Ace Combat Pilots. was the name when it was on arcades, and then when they re-released it on PlayStation, it was Ace Combat. Okay, Air, why did I think it was Ace Pilot? No, you're thinking of Time Pilot. That's an arcade game, but I'm much not longer. thinking of Time Pilot. But time, I should be thinking of Time Pilot. But yes, no, this was. Fun to go back and revisit. I, I liked it a lot. What did you think of it, Matt? What was... Did you play this when it was new? Uh, yeah. How old were you? Like 12? Well, I am 20 now, so 20 minus 7 is 13. Oh god, I was. I thought I was being facetious, but... 13. Man, I almost hit it. That's... I feel so old, Jack. I feel so old. <laughs> Somehow so do I, even though I shouldn't. <laughs> uh, what happened was I got my 360 and... I played the demo of this because I had no fucking clue what it was, and I was a kid who just got a first video game console. I have a question for you, just like it's totally unrelated. Do you still play demos? Because I, I feel like I do not play demos. I don't give a shit about demos at all God, anymore. God no, but well, demos are for the twelve-year-old who has got a new video game. That's console. fair. That's, that's ex- no, that's true. When I got my 360, I played a lot of arcade game demos, that's... and then never bought the games. Like the no. ones I actually bought were games I never played the demo of. I just knew I wanted them, and then got really annoyed that you couldn't get rid of them on your achievement list. But no, I played the demo, and the first mission is the demo, basically. Okay. And I was like, okay, I have to get this immediately. To be fair, the game gives uh, the first mission is all the missions, so it's like, oh, I like this game. But yeah, and the the first mission has fl- I flew between I made it my mission to fly between buildings, mm. which is a real stupid way to play that game if you actually want to do anything. I never flew between buildings. It's so good. It's so good. You I stayed. I stayed up uh, close. You know, I stayed high most of the time. If that's smart, but you don't get to fly between buildings that way. I was thirteen. That's fair. <laughs> I did not fly between buildings this time. This time, when it got to that mission in the canyon, I was like, "Oh, these tight turns." So, what's Ace Combat Six: Fires of Liberation about, Jackson? You mean what's it about, or what's it about? How about you give me both? <laughs> but what's it about first? I don't know which one that was. 
I want to. I want a story summary. <laughs> you want a story summary? So, <laughs> again, it's still not specific enough. But yeah, no, uh, it's an Ace Combat game, which means you are a pilot and you have to fight off some uh, invading nation, which is basically the story here. But the way uh, the story is told and the cutscenes that are used, which is Ace Combat's kind of trademark, at least before Assault Horizon. Uh, has all these weird cutscenes that show multiple perspectives. Like uh, one of the Ace Combat games was, you you were obviously a pilot shooting people, but the story was about a journalist on the other side of the war covering it. Huh. Yeah, that's stuff like that. Ace Combat Six is in line. Yeah, I figured. With the the narratives of those um, story modes, but this one is. It, it's about this woman who has to find a, a daughter, but also about this soldier who has to invade in a nation. It's just a bunch of perspectives on this war while you control the plane and uh, shoot people in various missions. It's interesting. I really like the story mode in this game. Um, the thing I think is interesting is the game is like it's very arcadey. You have more weapons than any sh- like actual fighter jet would ever have, and you kill way more enemies than any pilot <laughs> in the history of the entire world has and ever you, killed. Every become... mission, you are you do you have more kills than any fighter pilot would ever have. In and you become part. like legends to the other yeah. team. But you're it, it, the scheme still does a good, I, I think a fairly good job of making you feel like just one part of a much larger conflict. Definitely. Because uh, your wingmen are useful and do and make a lot of kills too. It's just there's overwhelming numbers in general. And uh, well, your the, wingmen. Like, are while you, ba- the, the, there's obviously a slow push that you're going to like, you know, take back your country. Uh, it feels like you were just a pawn in that whole thing because all of it happens kind of around you and despite you, they're going to push on no matter what. Well, all the missions are kind of escort missions like you are giving support to this team or you're doing this to this team yeah. and I, th- I think that in uh, in mission narrative stuff uh, is really smart with how it achieves that like instead of it being like you do this do this do this do this you just get a lot of unrelated radio chatter and you just hear things going on around you and you really feel a part of this uh, crew or whatever mm-hmm. because you just hear all these different things going on but the uh the thing I was going to say was that because of that, it's really easy to just get wrapped up in the mechanics of this is my mission, this is what I have to do, these are the objectives, go to point A and destroy all of the ground units, whatever. Um, and the story goes out of its way to give you those other views of this is an actual war, these are people who are suffering, there are children running the streets, like forming these like gangs of like street urchins in the occupied city. Uh, this is a mother looking for her daughter who's lost her husband, and it, it, like they're, it's not like the best acted, or, <laughs> no. uh, but I feel like the drama actually makes sense and it feels impactful in a way that those stories always do. Like it focuses on the human story enough, where, you know, there are times, there are moments where you see those characters exist kind of in the same space, like they're on the road trying to get to the capital city, and your planes fly overhead, and you realize oh, this war is happening and it's at their doorstep and they're going to be affected by it. And I think that's a really powerful thing that war games, like, by their nature, because you're a soldier, don't normally do. No, like, there's the cutscene in this game where you've just had this battle and then the people on the ground who are on, who mostly just 
kind of been unrelated to you like you, they've been following the war but it's never been clear that they're next door to you but though they find you find uh, they find a soldier you've shot down dying and it's like this guy killed me and it's you and you're like oh okay shit mm-hmm. like it doesn't shy away I mean when you think of how games present war in a realistic sense uh, they do not no <laughs> but the way they attempt to is through grittiness and like Michael Bay style militaristic jingoistic brouhaha whatever whereas this game is extremely arcadey uh, the mechanics are very actually distant because uh, yeah. the U- UI is so deliberate oh yeah and... it's, it's a very cold game yeah. about the things you're doing but I think that just increases the impact it's almost like Defcon where it's, it's similar like Defcon is a, is a game about thermonuclear war where it just it's just a giant like Doctor Strangelove world map and you shoot nuclear missiles at cities and just death tolls pop up of millions of people and it's very removed. Uh, there's it's very bloodless and there's something about the actual mechanics of the game where it's just flying through the skies and shooting down planes. You get a little like enemy destroyed. You don't even have to like you rarely even see the enemy you blow up because you're in the middle of a turn or you're flying over them or something. And you, the, like the noise that the you shoot now that little beep and then yep. you, you press B and it's, it's all very and disconnected. It's, it's such it's such a removed thing and the story goes out of its way to like remind you that this is the impact of what you're doing for yeah. good and for bad. Like you are saving these people. And you are affecting the change in your homeland, but you're still killing people. That's still yeah. a thing. People still suffer even when you win. Like at the end of the game, you watch uh, someone get married to the soldier you almost killed, basically the wingman of one of the enemies of the game, and yep. it's played as a happy beat. It's like this guy got married. Yep. Uh, I thought that I was not expecting that at all, and I was very impressed. No, that, me too. That kind of like it's kind of a silly an like it's presented in like a silly anime kind of way. You Not don't really say. silly, but goofy. It's hard to take like pre- presentation wise. It doesn't seem like a thing you'd take seriously, but no. I think it handles it with a lot of nuance. Because when you listen to the cutscenes and you like hear the voice acting and you know go dance with the angels, Mister. Yep. <laughs> the way that phrase like by mission twelve, every other line out of any character's mouth. Go dance with the angels. <laughs> As like they're... they're as the like the POWs like plays <laughs> a protest. Oh man! It's the bit where um, she reunites with her daughter and she's like, "My angel is back to me." And then there's like a really long pause, and you think that's it, and she goes, "Come dance with me," and you're like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> fucking, they did it. They found a way to do it." Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, that stuff was really interesting it seems like that's just a trademark of those ace combat games though which is I... impressive for a series i kind of had always discounted as oh these are just like dumb war games where you fly a plane and stuff and they are that but there's there's more to it yeah. even I... though the story like the actual plot eventually like becomes something goofy see there so... were these asteroids right Okay, so the the the, the game opens with nowhere. your country being invaded by fake Russia, and you're like, fake. you mean the Stovies? Yeah, uh, the Estovakian forces, uh, and you're Grace Maria, which I can't no, tell if it's not. America we're, or Europe, but it's we're one of Ameria. Them. Ameria? Oh yeah, Ameria. you're right. Grace Maria is the city. Okay, um, then I guess it's probably America. Um, yeah, and you take that back, but then. 
after you've liberated your city and all that stuff's really good like there's an actual end of the game and you get like a revelation about your wingman that his family has died it's actually really sad I, uh, that mission is surprisingly affecting because i knew it was coming obviously because also like all you're doing for most of that mission is you're flying you're doing a fly over the city as like a show of force as like fireworks go off and you can just fly around them and they're really pretty and it's just kind of this sad moment where your care your wingman is talking to you about all the things he's lost and how he's unable to actually feel any sort of like celebration or accomplishment about that sort of thing. Yeah. And then they tack on the anime ending where the bad guys have a secret weapon. Cause of course they do, which is a giant rail gun that they developed back when asteroids were going to hit the earth. Cause this is like a near future alternate reality th- setting basically. And th- they never actually used it to shoot asteroids out of the sky, but they finished it for this, which was to shoot missiles across the planet at you and it you comes go, out of nowhere. You have to go fight a giant railgun. I don't know. <laughs> that that final mission like takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of that game, I think. It does, but I And it, I don't even think like the act of fighting a giant cannon is interesting at all. Oh god, no, that mission's terrible. <laughs> Cuz I I want to talk about mission structure, but that one is bad. Well, Cuz all the targets you have to hit are in very small location with lots of things you can bump into so you're just making extremely long passes around the single point yep whereas and then most missions at are the very end you have to death star fly down this trench and shoot a very <laughs> small point inside of it which is just boring because you just fly slowly because it's not yep. hard no because it's a straight path no and there's nobody's no bothering difficulty. you or anything it's just it, it's something that's obviously conceptually exciting but ends up being not very exciting in any way shape so, or form the 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 two flight combat games that i have a lot of frame of reference for this with are uh star wars rogue squadron specifically rogue squadron 2 which was a gamecube launch title that's very good um and star fox 64 and both of them have sequences where you fly down a very long tunnel and blow something up what's the one in star wars uh okay so there's the trench run which is fine but then there's a bonus mission where you're literally flying inside the Death Star 2 from Return of the Jedi with the Falcon. Yeah. And that stuff's great because not only do you fly in and you have to blow up the giant reactor, but the thing that's really interesting is then you have to fly out as things are exploding around you. That sounds and, great. Like, the, the like roof's collapsing and stuff. And if you don't do it, you will die. Like, it's not a scripted event. You have to get out as, like, fire is slowly creeping up around you. Because well, uh, what's important in any and of those... Star Fox 64 actually ends with that same sequence where you go deep inside the planet and you fight the final boss, and then he's like, "I'm going to take down this planet and you with me," and then he he blows up because he's a load bearing boss. The planet blows up, and you have to escape a bunch like a nav- navigate these like pathways. It's like fire slowly creeping up on you. Ace Combat Six doesn't have any of that. No, which is unfortunate because it would make that sequence interesting. Instead, you just fly out the back of that cannon as you blow it up, and it, you get a cutscene of it blowing up. You know, you don't even fly out the back. You explode it, and then you get a oh, cutscene right. of you flying out the back. I was really that's disappointed because you think you're going to fly out, and that's the moment, and it takes that away from you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ugh, video game. Because what what makes those moments work, I assume, in uh, Rogue Squadron and what have you, is the sense of urgency to the thing blowing up, and also you having to actually do some dex uh, dex I've forgotten the word, but dexterity. Yeah, dexterity both of them are both of them are like labyrinthine things. Like Star Fox is a, like a maze basically, but then uh, in Star Wars, it's the Falcon. It's a big ship and it's a very narrow tunnel, so there's a lot of like barely squeezing through stuff. You do a lot of rotating on an axis, so you don't hit things. Like this uh, all, 
almost, I mean, obviously not in an actual sense, but this sounds like what makes them good is what makes those running away from fucking boulders and Crash Bandicoot is what this is reminding me of. That's fair. Uh, yeah, there has to be a tension. Like, yeah. you don't want to make it too hard, but you want to make it so people feel like they barely made it, not hit the thing and then you get the reward. And I think Ace Combat's flight system are not set up for something like that because movement in Ace Combat is not very good in a um, tight space. No, I had a... Like, I don't think this was a particularly hard game, really, in general. No. Uh, but the first big hurdle I had was there's a mission somewhere in the middle of the game where you have to fly through these, like, gated... Like, inside of, like, the sides of mountains, there's, like, these carved-out tunnels. You have to blow the that, doors open and that fly bit's through. Hard. And just the act of, like, making sure your ship is lined up... Because they're, they're completely straight tunnels. Like, there's nothing, like, tricky about them other there than There are, like, lines, though. There are... Yeah, I clipped a sign once or twice, but yeah. the just the act of making sure your ship is lined up and you can fly straight through is way harder than it should be. Because, I mean, I assume an actual plane is actually probably like this. It's hard to just fly level and straight. Like, it, relative relative to another object, you have to go down. It's not that hard in the game, but it's also hard to make that interesting. Because once you're lined up, you're using the right and left bumpers, and that's it. And you have yep. not very much movement, so it's kind of boring. And the minute you, like, you can't twist or anything, because the minute you do that, you're going to blow up immediately. Yeah, it's not a game, I think, about tight corridor movement. No. Because, okay, so when we, were, when we were talking about how we played this, much like our Doom scenario, I came to you and I'm like, I love bombing. Bombing runs are the best, I enjoy them a lot. You're like, what? I was always into dogfighting and twisting around and flying through buildings. And... We talked a little bit beforehand. Uh, your revisiting of this game gave you a different perspective. Because <laughs> I, was... I hate dogfights. Oh, they're the worst. Dogfighting is what the uh, Allied Assault button is made for. You get into a dogfight, you get all your friends to come out and help you. You're bombing stuff. That's what this game is for, uh, now that I am an old man, turns out. Uh, it's just more interesting, I think. I, I, I do like crowd-controlled dogfighting. I like... When, what, like, what do you mean? Like when you have the special weapon and you're targeting six at a time and they're off in a distance and you have to try to line them all up. I like that. I think that's good. Um, Almost the entire game I used one of the like big... uh, Like the, like the spread bombs. Okay. The problem... One of the complaints I have about this game and it's totally like extraneous to the actual game is you told me, hey, there's a bunch of DLC for this game. Yep. And... A lot of it is free skins, like, of, like, Legacy. I guess they're, like, the skins of other ships from prior games. Yes. But you get the planes for free when you do that. And all of the planes are so much better than anything you get to buy through most of the game. Yes. And so there's no reason to use starting planes. So I would just get, like, the best air-to-air plane or the best air-to-ground plane from the beginning. And there was no reason to switch to a different plane. Like, I didn't experiment with planes at all. I didn't experiment with planes. I mean, I just because uh, I'd already completed the game, I just used the good planes. Yeah, I I did for the first few missions, but then I started unlocking stuff. I'm like, I could buy this stuff and like tweak this nonsense, but it wasn't fun. And when they give you the shortcut for free to just use the best thing, why would you not? I don't understand. It's not. Like, a I game... feel like they undercut their own progression system. Well, it's not. A, it's not a game where progression is interesting. You just get better in the most boring ways. You just get more powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's not a game where if you were to replay it, there would be anything gained from starting with the worst planes. So the special weapon I was used was there's like a uh, a 
bomb that it does like a long line of explosions, like a, an air to ground bomb that the, you can hit from like twenty thousand uh, like meters away. So like, the standoff the, the dispenser lock... or the one that kind of goes behind it. What? Is it the standoff dispenser? The one that ha- ha- makes a target and then hits all the targets around it. No, it's the one that goes like behind it in like a line. Okay, the, yeah, it's the other one. All right. That one, like that, like that's the default win weapon as far as I'm concerned. It tears stuff up. Yeah, uh, in a game where you're almost always given ground mission objectives that you can complete, I always did the ground missions. I was just a bombing beast. I'd make my wingman like an air-to-air guy, and then I just have him target anything I didn't want to fight. Yes, because he Accurate. was pretty good at that. Accurate. This, I, I came round to your way of thinking to the, this time. I was Which wrong is, in my youth. Uh, oh, I was young. And if maybe I don't know. I don't think it's uninteresting. But it's, I think it's more satisfying to have the very, like, concrete, you line up these targets and you hit them and then you make a loop around and you get them from another direction so you get more coverage. Like, that's more how actual air combat works. Because you don't have prolonged dogfights. That's not really a thing no, in real and, life. And even when you are fighting air to air, you're making a pass and you're making them disengage you and then making another pass. Because yep. when you're actually both chasing each other, that game is terrible. Yeah, you just, like, the planes turn the way actual fighters do, which is not very well. So, and, like, you loop, like, dizzyingly, and you stall very easily. And, like, uh, so, the games I played before, the air combat games that I enjoyed dogfighting in, Star Wars Battlefront 2 has great dogfighting. I'll be interested to see what you think of Rogue Leader, because, uh... It's interesting, like, when you're in space, it's much more like you do whatever, because 3D space, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the ships are obviously more maneuverable, or, like, in the X-Wing, you can, like, open or close S-foils to, like, change your maneuverability, like, profile. But a lot of the game is less focused on dogfighting and more focused on, like, objective-based stuff, where it's, like, go to this point and then blow up these things and then go to here and engage with this enemy. Uh, it's It's much more like specific like there's a goal to each mission that i think is more like it has more story weight since there's no like framing device around it mm-hmm. the way ace combat does because ace combat i like the missions are fine but they're almost all the same mission it's just here are a bunch of green dots here's a tank battalion make sure they don't blow up before they get to their point and then at like three points in the game there becomes a story thing towards the yeah. end uh, except for <laughs> bit, the mission bit. where the drones show up, which is the worst mission in the entire game. I'm fine. I can avoid drones. Drones are fine. What are you talking about? Just uh, so at the, the end direction. of one mission, as after you finish a good long mission. No, I know the uh, mission. I'm just explaining to people. All of a sudden, oh, yes. these little drones Sorry. come out that fly around <laughs> dizzyingly. They're too fast and they're too small. But the thing is, they like target these cruise missiles that show up and create these huge area of effect explosions. And they're terrible. I died multiple oh. times because they'll just tear up your entire plane. Yes, you're right. When you actually had to, the mission where you had to destroy the drones. Yes. Bef- I thought you meant just avoiding the crew. No, no, no. That's fine. I mean, it's annoying, but it's fine. But the ones you have to destroy them is terrible. I just remember standing right near the supply line, just using, just spamming special weapons forever and ever and ever, waiting till I had um, allied attack. Using yeah, allied basically attack what I ended up doing is after I died, I respawned with allied attack at full, and I just used that, and they took care of it. Yeah, that's... But that's not necessarily fun. Like, that's no. not a good thing. No, but that, that's how I took care of all, all the difficult, fast things that are hard to target. I just allied attack them. 
Because giving you because allied attack is like the super weapon where you just all the available ships will target anything in your view radius, and they're really good at destroying the things you target. It's slightly more nuanced than that in some ca- like so in episode 12, 13, where what's his face shows up, the the what you assume at the moment to be oh, the yeah. final. He boss can't of the game. do that. The, they they can't ally attack him at all. Yes, they can. Oh, they can. I I killed him with an allied attack. I took him out like one on one. How? <laughs> Uh, high G turns, basically. I spent almost that entire battle in, like, a stall roll. Like, I was stalling out and, like, spinning to Earth and, like, firing guns at him as I was doing so. Like, in theory, it would have been really cool, actually, because I was just flat spinning. And, like, missiles can't lock onto that guy at all. He's too fast. So I took him out with guns, which I thought was neat. Uh, Because, I mean, they don't... The tactic of it is that when you allied attack something, it targets a wide range of things... But you have to get it so he is the only person in your view. Yeah. And then he, you get all the allied attack on him, and it'll take about maybe a quarter of his health if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little bit more interesting than that, but mostly it's just a super weapon that you press yeah. when you're in trouble. Do you ever use allied cover? I actually use that a couple times. I have used allied cover, yes. As someone who, which basically just has everyone at, like t- attack who is ever behind you and like take care of missiles. Because as someone who was focused on bombing, for the most part, I just kind of let the air battle happen around me while I'm busy taking care of business on the ground. Yeah. So having allied cover actually was pretty nice because then I, like, as I got tired of hearing the missile lock every single time, because I know how to avoid missiles, computer, you don't have to tell me. I'm looking at the radar more than I'm looking at the screen. <laughs> I realize why I was that game was so much harder when I played it the first time, because I played it on a small CRT, and I couldn't see the radar properly. Oh, so... Actually, for a lot of that game, I had the radar blown up to like the like where it takes up like a third of the screen size. So I, yeah, I switch between them very regularly. Because I need to and, know where I'm going. Yeah, like you don't actually need to see the uh, the actual what's happening in that game very often. No, very rarely. Only to dodge missiles and yep. to line shots up. Mostly you need to know, oh crap, which direction do I face to get there the quickest? Yep. Uh, which is probably actually accurate to how a real fighter pilot is. You probably spend more time looking at your instruments than you do looking out the window. I, that's why they have instruments, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. If the situational awareness was good enough, they wouldn't be spending millions of dollars trying to develop VR helmets. No. But, yeah, I mean, which... Or my major complaints, but by and large, I actually really enjoyed the combat, which is, it's ace, Jackson. The combat is ace. I'm shutting this whole thing down. I can't do Well, too far. That's not, that's, I think I've made that exact joke to you. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you did, because only British people use ace like that. No, we don't. That's not, that's, that's, I don't, where's that come from? I don't know. I, I consider it a Britishism. I consider that Amer- Americanism. I think it might just be like an old-timeyism. I'm fairly sure, but I have not heard Ace said ever. I guess I guess I kind of associate with like 1940s like war movies. That's fair. Which would make sense given the game we're playing. Yeah. Because if this evokes anything, I feel like it's World War II. There's a lot of World War II in that movie, in that game. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's very much that all the way, except Russia. But yeah, I like that game a whole lot. Way more than I thought I would. I actually bought Ace Combat 4 and played a little bit of it. That's and it's the exact same video game. It's the same video game, yeah. I'm uh, gonna... So I guess they just keep making those. Well, they used to keep making those. Um, then they made I'm... Assault Horizon. Tell me would... about Assault Horizon, Jackson. I've only played like an hour of it. I was going to play more of it, but I didn't have the time. I will stream some of that this week. Okay. 
I will stream myself playing Assault Horizon. Uh, it adds a mechanic that I hated, but maybe now that dogfighting is actually the worst in these games isn't so bad. Dogfighting is carried about in a separate mode, and you have to fly through rings to line up a shot to finally kill the person. That doesn't sound better, necessarily. It just sounds it's, like more bullshit. It, it is more bullshit. It just means... Because the solution was in Ace Combat 6 is to do the least amount of dogfighting possible. Because that just that just sounds like like turning it into a glorified quick-time event. It's pretty much that. Uh, and, and the story... They remove the story. It's, oh, uh, that's, re- that's it's, a problem. That's it's the real world, loss. it's gritty, it's, the, it's them trying to make Ace Combat fit in with the I don't. Military. I don't mind dogfighting being difficult, not necessarily like the most interesting, because I, I like the idea that for the most part you're just trying to destroy these targets, and if you have to engage in combat you can, but it's hard and you don't want to do it, because I feel like that's probably how it actually is. Like If you dogfight, you failed your job as a pilot. Like Someone messed up, you shouldn't do that. Well, just in terms of sheer efficiency. Yeah, you, as a modern military, you fly in, you blow it up, and you get out. Yeah, I, I, I assume that the And the I, think, dog I think trying to play the game as a bomber like gives you that impression, like, oh, well, they're intercepting, so I guess we have to deal with them, but we'll try to do that as little as possible. Because I would assume that there's never any time where the assignment is, you're a plane, go fight this plane one-on-one. It's either uh, attack this thing or defend this thing. Yeah. And those are the two interesting mission types. Mm-hmm. They're... Uh, both of those in the game. I, I actually I like the the one where you defend the city against cruise missiles. I really like that one. Uh, it was the most Star Fox of them. There is literally a Star Fox mission, a very like iconic one that is that. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I might do play that then one day. Yeah, you got a if you can get a hold of a Wii. I, I actually the if you can find it for 3DS, I heard that version's pretty alright. Oh, the Star Fox 64 DS yeah, one. Yeah, that's Wii, the only Wii, Star Fox Wii. game that matters. Okay, good. Good to know. Yeah. Um, I I mean I've played almost all the other ones and they're okay, but that's the one. That's that's the one you want. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cool. Uh, is that eight for Ace Combat? Okay, the future of Ace Combat, Jackson. Okay. What can you tell me about this game? Is it actually coming out? It's it's out today. Is it really? Uh, in America, I think. I On what? I think it was the the PlayStation threes. The PlayStation Triples. Oh. The third in the PlayStation series. You mean I could download that right now? I think so. Uh, I remember seeing it was tw- 28th in Europe, 25th here. Might be, I might be wrong, but I know okay. it's 28th in Europe. All right. Uh, and I will play that and let people know. what we, I know. It's we, might, a... we might open next uh, episode with a bit of Ace Combat. It's a free-to-play game, right? Yes, it's set in the real world, again. Okay, so, but mm, so, I remember reading on the, the Wikipedia page that it includes, like, the Flying Fortress from this game and, like, something about a super train from, like, Ace Combat 4. So, there's a story mode, but it's mostly... To, I think there might be, like, energy-style mechanics, but they might have reworked them, um, because which is fine for us, because the way you played that game was, I'm going to do a mission a day. Yeah, and... I played... I, I uh, The first... Two days, I think I did two missions a day until I got out of like, the very beginning parts. But for the most part, I played one mission a day every day until I was done. It was nice. It was a great way to play that game. And it sounds like the, the way that they're monetizing that is that. Because I think it's too competitive or for them to monetize buying planes. But I sure, I'm sure you will buy planes in that. And it'll get annoyingly free to play. But I'm interested to see what it is. I know it's mostly a co-op game. Oh, I know okay, it's all so about I'm co-op missions. We can do it. I'll... I'll no you won't you hate multiplayer 
was that that was yeah. So I mean, if it actually works, maybe we could get on Skype and play some of that. We we could. Unfortunately, we can't stream it because PlayStation Three. But yes. no, unfortunately, someday we'll be streaming games we play together. Someday <laughs> in the future. But that's it for Ace Combat. It, it's an interesting series that is basically dead at this point. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll know. It's Infinity. Is that what the free-to-play one is called? Ace Combat Infinity. That's not as good as Fires of Liberation. Uh, what are the other... Let me look up the other subtitles in the series. Okay, Afterburner so... Climax. Oh, shit, we never talked about Afterburner. Afterburner's yeah. the best thing ever. Okay, done. We've done that. Someday we'll talk about just Sega Arcade games, I think, and then we'll I... talk about Afterburner. I downloaded games. that to play again after playing Ace Combat just to remind myself of how good... There's that there's that three D version on three DS of Afterburner two. I realised that I lived um where I was for uni, right next to an Afterburner machine and didn't touch it all year. Yeah, I've never seen one in the wild. I would play the shit out of that. It's right there. I'm I'm actually back there next Thursday, so maybe I'll make a point to go Yeah. To the Afterburner. That's the best thing you could do. It is. Uh, I think Fires of Liberation might be the best Ace Combat subtitle. Mm, the Unsung War is the other one. Yep, that's no, that's good. that's the one. You, yeah, that's the best one. The Unsung War. I think that might be the one about the um, uh, reporter. What's the, okay. st- the story? That makes sense. That's a good yeah. title. Anyway, Ace Combat. Maybe check it out. It, I mean, I don't know who plays their 360 anymore. I'd drag mine out of the closet for this. I'm I'm so excited to burn mine now. I have a no, PlayStation we'll, 3. No, we're gonna play Res someday. One day but I can burn it for a while. Well, we're back for segment four, Jackson. Hi, hi. It is time for some questions. If you want to ask us questions, you can ask us on Twitter, at Abnormal Mapping, at our Twitters, which we'll plug later. Uh, there's an ask box on our Tumblr. You can send us an email at abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Remind me when we get to the plug zone, where plugs rule, that I don't have to <laughs> say those things anymore. I will remind you when we're at the plug I'll probably zone. say it all again, because I've got a spiel now. D. Okay, uh, yes. And I'll probably interrupt you because I do. You always do. I always Make do. fun of me. <laughs> the plug zone's a beautiful place. Don't hate on the plug zone. Yep. Okay. It's the best Sonic level. <laughs> plug Man is my favorite Mega Man villain. Uh, ask me some questions, Jackson. Okay, first question comes... Ask me, ask me one question, then I'll ask you the one question I have. Okay. My first question comes in from Brett Cadieu, uh, and his question is this. Godzilla... So we both saw Godzilla. We both are we're both movie people. Yes. I mean, I would for a couple years I would count myself a movie person more than I would count myself a video game person. I feel like the same is true for you. Definitely. Uh, the last two years I went way more hard on movies than games. 
uh, I really like kaiju movies. I've seen the original Godzilla. I've seen like 10, 15 others on top of that. I love them. I think they're great. Even the bad ones are entertaining. You are a neophyte, right? Yeah. More or less. I've never seen a uh, Godzilla movie in my life before Godzilla 2014. And we both really like Godzilla. It's so good. It's so good. Go see Godzilla. Just just go do it. Uh, the amazing things you can do when you know what your money shots are and you're careful about like building up to them and giving them the weight that they need and not blowing all of your spectacle on a bunch of exhaustive we can do anything so let's make it all happen for a half hour is stunning <laughs> yeah like that the final fight set piece has about three main bits like doesn't it's not a 20 minute just screen orgy of ridiculous kaiju and shots. before those three main bits there's a good half hour where they just tease the fight is <laughs> happening but you don't get to see it it's and so it's many, great it's so many invented ways of inventive fake outs by the time that you get the act the first actual beautiful reveal uh which is uh i'm not even going to spoil i was at the edge of my seat like i like my girlfriend literally like started cheering when that thing happened what's i don't know which one you're talking about uh, the glow in the tail, which will give it away to anybody. Oh, oh, you mean in the final fight? Yes. Yes. Yes, no, I saw that happening. And I, and Though I... the thing in Hawaii where he comes out of the water and is just standing there is also amazing. The, the thing in the water, um, just everything. I think my favorite shot is the one with Godzilla flanked by aircraft carriers. <laughs> yes, that's a pretty good shot. My favorite one is probably where the fight is about to happen and they shut that door on the fight. Doubly because they have a fake version of that shot in the trailer. Oh, do they really? Yeah, they have a fake shot of her going into the shelter and it's just Godzilla standing there. That's Yeah, that's great because they totally fake out that halo jump in the trailer too. Yep, which is real good. Cause... The best trend in movies is hiding your actual spectacle shots with fake ones for your trailer. It, the, the only way to hide things in movie trailers is to pretend you're not hiding anything. Yep. It's rule number one. This avoids the awful thing that the Avengers did, which was spoil their key moment with a fucking trailer shot. <laughs> yeah. I'm still mad about that. It's terrible. I never saw the Avengers trailers before the Avengers. Uh, that catch is the, in the tr- it's the highlight of the trailer. Oh, the catch. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the shot with them in the circle. No, right at the end where Iron Man's falling and Hulk catches him right before he hits the ground. That's like the key point of the trailer and it's the end of the movie in terms of action. It, it's the last thing that happens, yes. Yeah. It is the very last thing that happens in the film. I mean, Why would you spoil that? Amazing Spider-Man 2 has the final shot of the film in the trailer. Isn't it that rhino shot? Yeah. Which is the worst thing to end on, anyway. Yeah, it's. I mean, that movie is the worst just throughout. I mean, you might you can say what you will about those Raimi movies, but I think they all end spectacularly. <laughs> so I rewatched Spider Man Two the other day. That one has the best ending. I, it's so because it's like we're gonna give you that triumphant Spider Man swinging on an American flag or whatever, and then it gives you like a dark undercurrent. That, I totally forgot. I had that final shot of Mary Jane being a oh shit. <laughs> Because he goes off, he flies off, and she's run away from her wedding, and then he, she's on her own, and she's like, God damn it. <laughs> it's real good. Spider-Man 2 is a good film. Anyway, we love Godzilla. Yeah, go see Godzilla. It's better than all the other fucking bullshit you're going to see until Planet of the Apes comes out. Yeah, so far, it is uh, the... Better bro- than X-Men? It's better than Captain America? These are both facts. 
Captain America's alright though. Captain America's fine. I saw that twice. That's not doesn't stand up twice. That's uh. Well, oh, I don't. I. I believe you, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I just went because I was like, I want to go to the cinema, and nothing else was on, so I saw it again. Um. Next question comes uh, from Destiny of uh, the podcast BadlandGirls.com, where we're someday going to be on. We have a standing obligation. <laughs> we have, by an, inv- the way, we have to, an invite. You know, we're gonna go crash that someday. Cool. And um, crash in all sense of the words. Pretty much. Uh, and she asks how we find the time to play all of the video games. Jackson, how do you find the time to play all the video games? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, being in uh, you're also yeah, you're a student. A I student guess. gives me a lot of time to play all the. You video games. You don't sleep very well either. I yeah, I don't sleep very well. But that that's a better at giving me more time to watch all the bad television. Because uh, time that you're not sleeping is not time you can concentrate on anything. Oh no, exactly. I when I get tired, I don't play video games. I hate doing it tired. It's terrible tired, and I, I don't like watching anything that's actually good when I'm tired. So that's why I, I watch, you know, the garbage. Um, I generally try to find entertaining garbage, but that's what I do. But video games, hmm. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I I find when I do play all the video games, I play all the video games. Like I'll have like two or three days of just spending the entire time playing video games and take three weeks off. Hmm. That's I used to be like that too. That's a very I, young person. I've thing. completely changed the way I approach doing things. I bet. I bet As, growing up does that. I the problem was I like you know if you do that you drop everything else and I'm at the point now where I have too many things I can't drop in my life. No, having a schedule of keeping everything all those plates spinning is smart. So I feel like I'm a kind of a busy person. And the way I fit in video games, which I do, I fit in video games actually quite a bit, is, uh, one, like, if a game has levels or whatnot, uh, and they're reasonably reasonably sized, like, find out what you can play a day and feel okay with, and just play that amount. Like, Ace Combat, I played one mission a day, and I just did that every day, and then I was done. And that was good. It was a great, constant way to play that. I was playing other stuff around it, more or less, but uh, that's what I did. I'm doing those Blackwell Let's Plays. I play enough to record one episode, like, four times a week. And that's, like, 30 to 40 minutes. I'm done. Uh, I I use How Long to Beat a Lot to determine how much time I should spend each session with a video game. Me too. Uh, if it's a seven-hour video game, I'll probably play, like, an hour of time and be done in a week. I like having, like, knowing how much time I'm going to invest. Same. If it's a big, long RPG, I just kind of play it when I want to. That's different because they're so long. Uh, I don't try to schedule it as much. I'm usually playing shorter games inside of playing an RPG also. Yep. Because I can't devote all of my energy to that. But basically, it's just about setting aside a time every day. Like, I don't consider playing video games to me as, like, it's not, like, this is my do-whatever-you-want leisure time that I could piss off with anything. This is my video game time. I play video games in this time. This is my TV time. I watch TV during this time. And making, like, very specific times to do your leisure activities. Leisure, in quotes, I guess, because we do this. Leisure! Sorry, no, Shut up. <laughs> uh, Midwestern, it's leisure. Like, snooty, like, Yankees say leisure. Oh, is that... Uh, I, is that I thought it was an inter-American-British thing. That's... It, oh. I think it also is, but you see it in New England, too. Like, people who are... I, I feel like it's an older-timey thing, but, like, posh Americanism exists, kind of. People are trying to get back in touch with their British roots. I mean, I say either, and that's I consider that like a posh Americanism as well. I used to say I flip between either and either. Um, aunt versus aunt, like that exists in America. What? Like your like your your parents' 
fee, like female sibling. Is oh, that an aunt or is that an aunt? Oh, your aunt. Yeah, that, but America. There are Americans who say aunt as well. There are probably people in British that was uh, Britain that would say uh, aunt. Maybe I don't know. Northern Britain has a lot of like they say grass and we say grass. I want to get into them uh, Yorkshire grass. accents? No, grass. No, no. Yeah, yeah no. just your long and short A's. Yeah. I mean, you know, you people with your long A's, you got a lot of them. <laughs> they, yeah, they call us the long A's, the British long A's. Yeah. Anyway, that's why. That's how we play video games. <laughs> no, it, it's just you. Have, like, if you want to actually accomplish things, and I play games to finish them and move on to next game, because I like to do that. That's how I intake this medium. That's how I read books. How you know you watch things to finish them, right? Y- yes. Uh, you have to have the time, and you set it aside, and you make it important to do that. Uh, uh, my struggle with that is mostly that all the things I want to get done are like uh, creative things, and then I'm just bad at finishing them. Yeah, creative things are different. Yeah, but like I think you have to take a different approach to that. So I'll schedule in like for an hour. I'll write this, and then I'll spend an hour, and I'll get nothing good done. I'll be like, "Ha, this went poorly," and then everything is thrown off. But, no, I mean you schedule that hour, and then if it doesn't work, you just do it again the next day, and eventually you'll get tired of sitting around doing nothing, and you'll get something done. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm uh, hopefully this summer, and well this year because I'm take, I'm gonna be working this uh, year. That that eventually might literally be months or years in I, some cases. I know. But, but eventually you will figure it out because as long as you don't let yourself do the other leisure activities, leisure for your case, sake, Jackson, uh, <laughs> uh, as long as you don't let yourself do the other things in that time, eventually you'll just get bored of spending that time doing nothing. Yeah. And you might just goof around and do something dumb creative, but that still counts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely, once I uh, go back to my nine to five job, I'm going to have to schedule things because otherwise you have like two hours a day of free time mm-hmm. yeah that's why i started time blocking so i could have so i could get stuff done while working 40 hours a week yeah jobs mm-hmm. they're the scourge of capitalism yep. like i hate it all man back to my train rides back to just looking at the platform and seeing the sad faces you could go- read on a train though right no, I know, but just, I mean, seeing all the fellow people going into work at the same time, just seeing how sad mm. everyone looks. Yeah, we don't have trains here. This is America, son. You're all in cars on your own. Yep. That sounds weird. I mean, I, I live literally like a three-minute drive from work, so it's not a big deal. So, why don't you walk to work? Because it's too far to walk. In, uh, like, I could drive, and it takes me three minutes, so I could walk, and it'd take me, like, 20, so... That doesn't seem accurate. That seems... No, it's it's a little longer than three minutes. Okay. It's it's enough that I could probably ride a bike if I was a person who did that, but I'm not. Yeah. Cool. I think we, we, we did that. We handled that well. That was a question and we answered it. You have more questions that I don't know about. Okay, yes. Well, there I say we say questions. Sorry to shit on you guys, but you're being jokey and we know this. Anyway... We answer all the questions, and we though. will, and we will answer. I pride them fully. ourselves. I pride us. Like doing it. I'm being presumptuous, but I pride us on answering all questions, no matter how dumb. Big Mac, replace the ingredients and make uh, and make something like a pizza. What do you do? What? Go just read that again. Big Mac, full stop. Replace the ingredients, all of them in brackets, and make something like a pizza. What do you do? Now, you see, the problem with that is that the sentence doesn't make any sense. Do you want a pizza sandwich? Is that what you're going for? But it's... I should... Replace the ingredient... Like, if you, if you want... So, it's a Big Mac. So, a Big Mac is not only defined by its ingredients, but by its shape, right? Yeah. 
So if you want to replace all the ingredients and make something like a pizza, you put pizza ingredients in and you make something in the shape of a Big Mac. That already exists, kind of. It's like those... Do you have Lunchables in the UK? Uh, Do you mean those weird Dairy Lee small tiny things that are like crackers? Yes, but there's a pizza version in America. There's a pizza version of Lunchables. They're like these little flat... Oh, like, there is, because they have that pizza dip on them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and then you put the pizza and the cheese, and they're terrible. They're awful. But everyone as kids ate a bunch of them, because uh, yeah, kids they, are dumb. They go in your uh, lunchbox with your If logos. you just stack up, like, two of those, and you put, like, a like a thing on top, and you heat up, and you got pizza as, a, like, a sandwich. It's not good. Just, if you want pizza as a sandwich, get a fucking calzone. Yeah. I mean, don't do that because it's bad for you. Calzones are terrible. They're full of grease and heart attacks. But <laughs> So Big Macs. But a big... You know, I think... I'm a Whopper guy. I like Burger King. I've always liked Burger King. There I'm was a Whopper a, guy. There was a reply... But every once in a while, I have a craving for a Big Mac. There was, specifically. There was a reply to the question saying, I was going to ask the same thing, but with a Whopper. So, good job. You preempted oh. that. Okay. I, I love a Whopper. I, I don't do burgers. Oh really? I, I don't food. These me. days I, I do mostly chicken sandwiches, and I like chicken sandwiches anyway. Yeah, when but... I go to those places, I'll just get chicken and chips. Mm-hmm. I, I'll... I mean, way better for you, so you're good. It's not that much better for you, but a little bit, I guess. Okay, yeah. the final question from Vince: uh, Is CM Punk ever coming back? I think probably because everyone in wrestling comes back. I would love it if he... Okay, CM Punk is like... He was was this really popular indie wrestler. He's straight edge. That's his, like, thing. He, like, made it popular in wrestling. Uh, You know what straight edge is, Jackson. You listen to music. Yes. Uh, And he was the guy in WWE. And then he quit. He was like, I'm tired of this. You guys are bullshit. I'm done. And he just left. Like... Left people hanging. They had to scramble to fix everything. He has a contract, so it doesn't really matter to him. And he's just at home chilling out. He appeared on, like, The Talking Dead as just, like, Talking Dead fan, Phil, whatever his last name is. Not even his wrestler name. Uh, <laughs> and wrestling fans fucking hate him for, like, they, he betrayed the company. Never mind that wrestlers don't have a union. Like, they get paid a lot, but it's like they don't have protections. Like, most of them don't have health insurance. Like, wh- come on. I, if wrestlers are like, this job sucks, I'm walking out, I will never be on the side of the promotions that force them to do that. Ever. Uh, I think it'd be great if he stuck to his convictions and said, no, I'm done. I did my time. I was popular. I was on the cover of, like, two WWE games. And I, I'm going home. I'm going to just be a cool guy now and not have to, like, hurt myself for your amusement because you all suck. Because wrestling fans suck. And I say that as a wrestling fan. Uh <laughs> But everyone fucking comes back because everyone likes yeah. money and There's... everyone likes fame. So I bet he's going to be back. I would love it if he wasn't. Five years CM Punk. For back. his sake. Not even for my sake. I've, I've never even seen him wrestle because I was not watching wrestling until after he had left. But I hope for his sake he stays the hell out of it because it's better for everybody. I don't watch wrestling, but uh, you tell me. And all those fans who hate him are going to like mark out so hard when he comes back. Because of course they will. Because... Fucking wrestling fans. How would they promote it? Would they promote it as... He'd obviously be a he would He would show up at the end of a pay-per-view and be like, Oh my god, CM Punk's here! And he would, uh... If they're gonna make him heal, he would attack, like, the main guy. And if they're gonna make him face, he would save the bad guy... Or the main guy from the other bad guys. 
I bet they'd probably make him heal because he's probably got heat for abandoning everybody. Yeah, if everyone Sorry hates him. Sorry to lay on the wrestling talk thick, but, you know. That was the question. We go yeah. to where the question takes us. Yep. As Abnormal Mapping's resident wrestling expert. <laughs> yes. Watch wrestling for seven weeks. I am an expert. More than I, I have. I mean, I watched it a lot as a child, but seven weeks now. How is how is that WWE Direct or whatever? The network, it's yeah. fine. I still wish Raw was on it instead of having to find people illicitly uploading them to YouTube. <laughs> Illicit Raw. Yep. Well, there we go. Them's okay, all the questions. So Jackson. Yes. Next month. Beyond what are we Good doing? and Evil is our game club what was game. That? Beyond Good and Evil from the French. From the French. The French. From Ubisoft? Yeah, Ubisoft. Ubisoft? Ubisoft. Okay. <laughs> this is a game that's been on my two playlist for a decade. Quite legitimately at this point. Yeah. Perhaps longer. No, I think it came out in 2003. I think I heard about it in 2004. Yeah, okay. So this adds up. If that's wrong, that's fine. I didn't look any of that up. That's off the top of my head. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil. It came up with the, the book by uh, Frederick Nietzsche. So, well done. Yeah, 2003. Okay, yeah, that was right. Good. This is a game that was so popular they gave it away free with string cheese in Canada. <laughs> Not <laughs> even American string cheese. It's a cult classic. So, we're going to play this uh, we're both going to play the PS3 version in HD. Let's hope that's not a horrible version. I don't know. I assume it's fine. I, I bet it's fine. Uh, and I'm very excited for that. Because I've played two hours of it back in like 2005, maybe. And I have not touched it since then. I'm, I'm excited too. We're going to play it right before they announce Beyond Good and Evil 2. That's not happening at E3. They've already announced that about six times. Okay, sure. Before they actually show Beyond Good and Evil 2. Okay, sure. It's still not happening at E3. No, I don't know what is. What's happening at the E3? Good thing they were asked us about our E3 predictions. <laughs> uh, I would uh, make a fart noise <laughs> and be like, no, no, nothing that come out, comes out of E3 is going to be a game I care about unless it's Final Fantasy 15. That'd be that'd be putting you to the test over how seriously you're going to answer all the questions. That question would be the one. I have I have things I like. I would I want a Metroid game. That's the thing. That'll probably happen. I would have said a Castlevania game, but he Igarashi left. So until he kickstarts a fake, fake Castlevania, uh, until it's I Bel- don't care. Belmont Simon, because <laughs> that's about how uh, close to Simon Selmont. It's a capitalist <laughs> vampire hunter. <laughs> it's about how close to Mega Man that guy's Kickstarter was. Mighty Number no. Nine. Mighty oh no. yeah, nine. that is the most Mega Man. So if they can get away with just making fake Castlevania. It's not like Konami's doing it. They're just like as bad as Capcom. We have all these franchises people care about. You're going to piss them away. Castle, Nobody cares. Castle Mania. We're too busy making uh, mobile games. Or I don't know. What's Capcom doing? Shitting themselves? I have no <laughs> idea. Releasing Street Fighter 4 updates every week. Yeah, pretty much. Christ. <laughs> Christ. I can't wait for indie Japanese games. It needs to happen sooner rather than later. It needs to happen now. Right. Thank you for listening. Yeah, okay, we're playing oh, Beyond Good and Evil. Do the plug zone. Oh, yes, this plug out. zone is here. <laughs> you can find us at abnormalmapping.com. You can find us on Twitter at abnormalmapping. Our Twitters, I'm at 
at LitRock. You are at Tylea002. I already gave you our email. You can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash abnormalmapping. You can find videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash abnormalmapping. That's it. Go home. Come back next month. We're going to talk about a good-ass video game, I hope. I will come. <laughs>